Exodus chapter 20, we'll read verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Grass withers and the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. This is now our fourth Sunday in the Ten Commandments series we've been working through and and my grandpa asked, well, how far have we gotten? You know, it was four weeks in. Is this the seventh or eighth commandment or so? No, this is the second one. This is kind of... So believe it or not, we're actually going slower through the Ten Commandments than we're going th- we were going through Luke. So we're, we're taking our time getting through the Ten Commandments. We're now into the second commandment of make no graven image. As you, you'll often hear it put that way. The first one, have no gods before me. And the second, do not make for yourself an idol or a graven image. And so this is where we're, we're taking off this week in our series through the Ten Commandments. But first of all, I, I got to reemphasize the reason behind why we would do a series on the Ten Commandments. Why are we standing up toward... Uh, it's kind of a, a bit of a joke against you guys that we're going to take a break from Luke for a nice relaxing summer series and we're going to discuss the Ten Commandments is where we're going to go, the law of God. We're going to go nice and easy through the summer. No, not really. We're going to dig hard into the Ten Commandments. But why? And I, I said at the outset, the reason why we would go through the Ten Commandments is out of love for you and out of love for the gospel out of love for you and love for the gospel. And you hear that and you might think, how in the world is telling me all the rules have anything to do with love for the gospel? If what we're going to do is just talk about here here are all of the rules, how in the world could that have any relation to love for the gospel? And I'd go farther and say, well, not only are we going to talk about just, just the rules, we're going to talk about all the rules and then we're going to emphasize the ways that we've all miserably failed at keeping them all of our lives. So we're not, so don't worry, we're not just talking about the ten rules of God. We're talking about the ten commandments, the ten rules, and how we've all failed them. So this isn't just the rules, it's the rules and how we failed them. But the reason why we would do this is out of, yes, love for the gospel. My love for you and for the gospel is tied up in these ten commandments because I know There is no greater joy than for sinners to hear and to rejoice in the gospel. And what joy in the gospel inevitably requires is an accurate view of the problem that the gospel remedies. Namely, our transgression against a holy and righteous God. Jesus is not sweet to those who do not see themselves as sinners. Jesus is not sweet to those who do not see themselves as sinners but to those who do. To those who see themselves clearly crushed by the law, there is no sweeter sound than the name of their Savior. I want this to be a gospel-saturated, a gospel-delighting body of people. 
And so in order for us to get there, the only people who rejoice greatly in the gospel are the people who see clearly how desperately they need to hear this good news. And honestly, this week, I've had to face this question over and over again. We had this kind of awful event going on in my wife's life, and I'm trying to think on the second commandment, make no graven images. And it's like, okay, God, uh, I've got all these things going on. Should we talk about something, I don't know, a little more relevant than the second commandment that was written 45, put down on stone 4,500 or so years ago? Is there something more relevant we should talk about? This is the question that's in my head. Why in the world of all the things that are going on, all the cultural issues and all the pressures, all the sorrows of this life that are going on, In everyone's life, why in the world would we go back and take time to think about what it means to not make a graven image? Should we just abandon the whole series and just start talking about more relevant things? And my answer to that was, obviously, no. (laughs) Because here we are talking about it. No, we are not going to abandon it because the reality is there is nothing sweeter in the midst of your trials when you're driven to desperation than to be grounded in the joy of what your Savior has done for you. There is nothing sweeter in the midst of your trials than to remember what your Savior has done for you and to be grounded in the joy that is in Him. And so thinking through the second commandment this week, I was reminded and I was illuminated to me ways that even this week, as I'm thinking about the second commandment, I'm breaking it. I'm breaking it. And so I'm failing, I'm standing condemned under the law, under the second commandment. And then what sweeps in, we'll get there later, but what sweeps in? The joy of the gospel. That though I am a condemned sinner, I have a wonderful Savior. Grace upon grace. So that's why we're sticking with the Ten Commandments. That's the motive, love for the gospel, love for you. And remember the groundwork from our first sermons. The worldview is, God is... God has spoken, therefore we should listen and we should obey. And what, what, from that, we as New Testament Christians see the law with its different uses, right? The law is there to muzzle. The law is there to mirror ourselves, to show us our sinfulness. And the law is there to give us a map of what right living, what love for God and love for people actually looks like. And I want to drive home this series is not mainly about the muzzle on society. So, i got to take time for this point as well. Uh, sometimes people hear you talking about the Ten Commandments and they think, that guy pretty soon is going to be getting a picket. He's going to be standing on the corner. He's going to be shouting at everybody, the Ten Commandments, all the things they should not be doing. Is that, what, is that what's happening to our church? That Darren is now becoming this guy who's going to start carrying around big signs and is going to start hating on people and just screaming at people. Is he going to get a fire hose and just start squirting hatred? Because we all know those people. Do you not? I mean, yes, we, we've seen these people. They, they make the news. These people who have nothing but fire hoses of hatred. And they use God's law as a club on everybody else. They use the Ten Commandments as a club on everybody else. Is Darren turning into one of those people? No. The Ten Commandments, rightly understood, do not turn you into a fire hose-wielding hater, but a humble pleader. This is because the right use of the law is in remembering the first person pronoun that they're delivered in, which is you. You shall not have any other gods. You shall have no other gods. You shall not make a graven image. And in the Hebrew, it doesn't work in our English, but that's a very specific personal you. It's not a you all word. It is a you individual word. So this is 
how we are to understand the, the Ten Commandments, first and foremost, are for God's people. They crush and they kill us. We're the ones that sin under the weight of the law. They crush and kill us. And then the gospel declaration comes in and it makes us alive. The Ten Commandments are not the gospel. They are not the sole word from God. He has said more than just the Ten Commandments. He has not said less than them, but He has said more. So therefore, right understanding does not put you on a pedestal. We don't put out a a big plaque of the Ten Commandments, get on top and start shouting at everybody, get up here with us. That is not what the Ten Commandments do. The Ten Commandments lay everybody low. They knock everybody out. And they put us all on the equal ground to where we say, don't, no, it's not come up here with us, it's come along with me. Come along with me in hearing the call of my Savior that there is forgiveness and mercy for lawbreakers like me and like you. That, that is what a right understanding of the Ten Commandments is to hear the Savior's call to repent and believe. So we're digging deep hopefully, into the second commandments. Looking at our own hearts and our own motives, seeing the transgressing that is transgressing that is plaguing us, but not stopping there. Because in the midst of the pit of despair that the law drives us to in our own sinfulness and condemnation, then comes in the gospel call. Here's what Jesus has done. Here's what your Savior has done for you. So that being said, this morning, we're going to get there. Make no graven images. Let's see, uh, I see a show of hands. Anybody this morning walk into church with a graven image in your pocket? Did you come in carrying an idol, something you'd cast, call us? No, you didn't. I saw you when you came in. He's lying. Did anybody, okay, you need to stay. Did anybody else bring a graven image? Then I guess we're all okay, right? No graven images. Second commandment kept. Let's all go home, right? Thank you, Darren, very much. Call us, you and I are going to talk. No. All right? Now, is, but... We need to remember that the Ten Commandments, they are are spiritual. They are spiritual when they come down. They um, are synecdoche. I can't say say the word, Bill. Remember the the fancy word I had a few weeks ago? They, They represent the whole. They are a small part representing the whole. There is much more in the Second Commandment than just don't carry around graven images. And so uh, we're all going to stick around, not just call us and talk about this. So we have to first answer the question, what's the distinction? We have this, the first commandment in verse 3 of chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. And then we have this second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. And they sound kind of the same. Don't have an idol. Don't make an idol. They sound the same. And what's, we need to kind of think about what's the difference. In the first commandment, God is calling for us to have no other gods but Him. He is the one true God. We are to have no other gods as our gods but Him. Adoration, praise, thanksgiving, invocation, everything is to go to this one true God. We are to have the right God to be our God. There are no other gods. They are all idols. There is one true God. The second commandment is different in that it is not just that we need to have the right God, but we need to worship the right God in the right way. The second commandment comes to us and it's not just have the right God, but have the right God and worship Him rightly. That we would have the right God and that we would worship Him rightly. So to kind of give an example, if it... My birthday's already passed, but if it were my birthday coming up and I said, um, for my gift, I want you to make a donation to an organization, I would never do this. This is hypothetical. If you're going to get me a gift, 
cash or anything, you know, something like that would work, preferable. Gift cards are fine. Uh, but it, let's just pretend like I would say, instead of giving me a gift, make a donation to uh, a renewable energy uh, group or something. They're trying to make a donation to someone who's researching wind energy or something like that. Just hypothetical. And so you want to honor me. You want to respect me. And so you're going to, you decide I'm going to give money to, to a cause in, in Darren's name. And you go and you give money to, a, to an organization that's researching how to dig for coal better. Uh, those are opposite ends of the spectrum, right? We have renewable energies, and then we have, we have not renewable energies, coal. I mean, if you were to do that, have you honored me? If my request has been give to this organization, and then you go and you take money, and you give it to a totally different organization, it's done in my name, right? You've done it in honor of Darren. Here's a donation in regards to Darren Dolacek. Have you honored me? Thank you, Michelle. That's an easy answer, folks. No, you haven't. That's not, you have not honored me. You have, you have attempted to make, make worship, make honor towards me, but you've done it in totally the wrong way. And so then by effect, you've not really honored me. And this is what the second commandment is about. It is about an attempt, even sometimes to worship the right God, but doing it in totally the wrong way is in the end, not really honoring God. On the positive side of this commandment, in your bulletin, I've been putting in the Westminster Larger Catechism on the Ten Commandments. The catechisms are just great resources of of orthodoxy throughout the years. Take that home and read it. We're not going through all of that today, but it's, it's very interesting. But just to shorten that up, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. What does it mean then positively to keep the second commandment, to, to worship the right God rightly? And Jesus here in John chapter 4, he's having this conversation with a woman at the well, woman of Samaria. And he's going and getting a drink. His disciples left and he has left with her. It's a great story. It's all at the beginning of chapter 4. We're going to jump into it at verse 15, I believe. Verse 19, we're going to jump into this. Uh, Jesus is having this conversation with her, and he's kind of calling her out, exposing her, exposing her. And verse 19, the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's having this question of, where do you connect with God at? Do you connect with God here in Samaria where we have our temple set up? Or do you connect with God in Jerusalem where you have your temple set up? Is her question. And Jesus says to her, said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. It's, the, it's, it's almost, very interestingly, it's a positive statement of the negative second commandment. Have no graven images. Jesus takes that and makes it into a positive in that right worship of God because He is a spirit, is worship that is in spirit and in truth. We see in here two, uh, one reality and then two implications. The first reality is that God is a spirit, one of the reasons why we are not to make a graven image or have pictures of God. So, I mean, we, you have, we have pictures of Jesus that are around and we could have that conversation. But 
uh, we, I would really have a problem if anyone attempted to paint a picture of God and hang it in a church building. We do not make physical represent, representations of God because God is spirit. God has no body. If you were to do a kid's catechism, you would, you would ask the question, what is God? And they would say, God is a spirit and he has no body as we do. God is spirit. And so one of the reasons why it's wrong to make a graven image is because God is a spirit. He is not to be encapsulated in any sort of object. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. And we are not to make an image of him because first and foremost, God is a spirit. And the directives that then flow from that reality, because God is a spirit, is that we must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does, what does it mean then to worship God in spirit and in truth? To worship God in spirit is to understand that it is not the physical or representative realities that matter, but underlying devotion and faith. It is not the physical representations that matter. Um, some religions, lots of faiths, even sometimes uh, branches of Christianity get into these weird elements of where there's some sort of magic or superstition to an emblem or to bowing to a certain object or pleading to a certain statue of some type. That is the, the implication positively is that to worship God means we don't make much of the physical realities, but the, the important side is the devotion and the faith underlying all of these things. Two individuals sitting in the same pew, singing the same hymns, wearing the same clothes, giving the same offering, having the same family life, answering the same questions in exactly the same way, can be millions of miles apart. Millions of miles apart from each other in regards to true worship. The person you're sitting beside could be exactly like you, sing the same song as you, maybe even sing it better than you, uh, you know, give a better offering than you do, might know the answers better. But if, they, if all these things are just a physical representation and there is no heart, there is no trust, there is no faith behind it, it is wrong worship. To worship God in spirit is to look not to the externals and put all your emphasis there, but to, by faith, draw near to God in sincere worship and adoration. The second positive, to worship God in truth. We have worship God in spirit and we have worship God in truth. To worship God in truth is to love and worship God for all that he has revealed himself to be. To worship God only for the attributes that you like or that your culture finds favorable in the moment is, not, is to not worship God in truth. This has become trendy in our, in our American Christianity for sure. We take the attributes about God that we like and the ones we find distasteful, we just kind of shove them to the back burner or get rid of them altogether or deny them entirely. And we worship God in half-truth. And to worship God in half-truth is to not worship the one true God. It is to offer Him wrong worship as well-intentioned as they may be to say, oh, I want to worship the right God. I just don't like these revelations about him, I'm going to put him aside. I'm going to worship the, the, the true God attempt to by half of his realities is to offer wrong worship, is to transgress, is condemn. To worship God in truth is to endeavor to truly know God as he has revealed himself to be in his word, in the Bible, and to worship him in his fullness, that everything he has revealed about himself to be 
is true and is worthy of our worship. It's also worship, it is also to worship him in the means that he has laid out for us, gathering together on a Sunday morning, taking church and church discipline as laid out in the scriptures seriously, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other, and the preaching of the word, hearing the gospel, the word declared to us, and keeping the ordinances of baptism and communion as he has prescribed. That's the positive side. Here's what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. Unfortunately, we also need to discuss what this means negatively. What does this then prohibit? So, okay, here's what we should do. Negatively, what does this mean? One way to transgress is to trust that going through the motions is somehow representative or, or qualifies for true worship of God. So if I show up and I just keep and I, and I show up at the right place and I do the right things and I kind of, but there's no heart behind it, no conviction, no, no sorrow for sin, no true faith in Christ is to offer wrong worship, to depend upon a ritual divorced from true heart worship, heart worship is transgressing the second commandment. If you show up and you come to the communion table as some sort of ritual that achieves for you something because by just mere going through the ritual, it profits you nothing. It's offering wrong worship. That's to worship God wrongly in spirit, and to worship God wrongly in truth, to worship him, uh, for, for instance, for his love. It's big today to talk about God is a God of love. And so we, we emphasize this attribute to the exclusion of all the others. This, besides the fact that God is just, that God punishes sin. And we want to throw those aside and worship the God of love. To do that is to transgress the second commandment because you are not worshiping God in truth. The tricky part of this commandment is that this worship can be intended you know, wanting to worship God, but just kind of wanting to do it your own way, by your own terms. It's exactly what happened in 1 Kings chapter 12. You can read this later, but Jeroboam uh, becomes the king after Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. And he becomes this king, and he wants to get rid of, he's worried about everyone going back to Jerusalem, and they will go back to the line of David. He doesn't want that to happen. So what he does instead is that he puts up a couple of cows, one at Dan and one at Bethel, I believe, puts up these cows and he says, here, here, O Israel, these are, these are the God, the God that delivered you from Egypt. Here he is, worship him. He describes God rightly, Jeroboam does, says, this is the God who delivered you from Egypt. Here he is, worship him. And he's breaking the second commandment, trying to, in a way, worship the right God, but he does it wrongly and it is transgression so those are some of the negative but we got to get got to let's we still can get off pretty easy there we're going to take the last few minutes and try to really nail this down what for us we aren't we don't have cows out on the hills here golden calves we're worshiping or nothing like that what does breaking the second commandment commandment look like for first christian church in Mount iowa what does this look like one of the ways that we are tempted to break the second commandment is with this beautiful building we have. I, this place is great. I, I love this building. I, I want to work. You guys, and I, can I commend you, have done a great job taking care of this place, paying it off, great new HVAC we paid cash for. Nice work. We take care of this building, and we should. And I'm interested in keeping that up while, while I'm here. But if we organize and fundraise and work to keep this building going, and there is no spiritual life inside, it's been pointless. 
It has been pointless. We shouldn't kid ourselves. It would be far better for us to leave this building and go meet in a yard somewhere under some baseball tents and have the real spiritual presence of Christ with us than to continue to come here out of some sort of ritual and not know Christ at all. You may not think this can happen, but it absolutely can. A dilapidated church, you look around and, and see these churches that are getting run down, they can often be indicators of something else that's going on, but there's nothing sadder. There's nothing sadder than a well-kept church. All the lights, all the glitz, best parking lot, water slides coming into it, whatever, you know, all kinds of just amazing things. Nothing sadder than a well-kept church that is dead on the inside. Nothing sadder than an alive building that is dead on the inside. And honestly, the reason why I bring this up, this is alluring to me. It is. Boy, wouldn't it be, I, I, I could easily go down the train of, boy, we keep this building going. We keep this place nice. We are on the corner. We're in the southwest corner of the square. We've got prime real estate. This is amazing. Let's keep this going. It's manageable. That's something we can get our hands on. It's something we can, you know, don't have to have any special tools or gifting. Just hire the right guys. Keep it up. It's a manageable and tangible task. And the keeping of this building does mean something but it means nothing if Christ is not at the center of it. If our work is about this place more than it is about Jesus, we should stop and reevaluate. Re- Are we breaking the second commandment? And we should get back on mission of right worship of our true God in spirit and in truth. That's a temptation of breaking the second commandment. The second one, events and programs. Is there our ways of breaking the second commandment? Are our programs our justification? Are we doing a lot of things for Jesus in attempt to circumvent our own need for personal rejuvenation, personal worship of God in spirit and in truth? Churches and church people and pastors, to be honest, fall into this trap many times. That what I'm doing up here is, is this is this is the service, I, this is my ritual, this is this is the special uh, devoid of devoid of any actual love for Christ. This is just the program that we put on. This is the event that we do. We hold great lunches here when we have them. They are great dinners. But let me tell you, if, if our justification is dinners, this is, our, this is the way that we connect with God and whatever, they, we run a real danger of being second commandment breakers. Breakers, if you have a job at this church, we've got lots of offices. We've got like 60 offices you can be in in this church. This is going to get real. I'm sorry. We've got like 60 offices in this church. And if, if you only show up to do that task as some sort of fulfilling your obligation and it is devoid of your own honest love for Christ, you're fooling yourself. You're a second commandment breaker. My, my plea to you would be quit your job. We don't want you in that job. I want you to show up for worship of God your Savior, not to merit something by some sort of task of keeping some certain role. I warn you, if you only are here, and those who might listen to this, if you are only here and show up to fulfill your role when it's your turn, you are in danger of breaking the second commandment. You should repent. Quit your job, not your job, quit your job at the church and show up because you want to be here to worship Jesus. Thirdly, we've got to move. Amusement is another way we can break this commandment. The church across America is absorbed with amusing itself because the culture is absorbed with amusing itself. 
I was, this is an actual line from a promotional video a pastor put out, and it was on, it was on YouTube. He puts it out there, and the, the, the line was, join us on Sunday morning. We believe church should be fun because God is fun. And that was his tagline. God is fun. God is amusing. Show up because we have a good time. And listen, people, there's no one you're going to find that's more convinced that there is joy in the gospel, deep, real, abiding joy in the midst of life's trials. But fun is a terrible word for what goes on in the house of God. Our culture is consumed with frivolity. The sillier, the better. And then we come to church. And I'd love, and Corby love, we'd love to get a rock band up here. Let's get some lasers going. I mean, I, I like all that stuff. I have a good, I mean, let's do the, I mean, that's fun. I would, I'm all into that. But listen, if you need a rock band to encounter the living God, you are breaking the second commandment. You're missing something. I should be able to get up here and we could sing immortal, invisible, God only wise while I play the spoons and connect with our God. Because of the doctrine that is there, the truth that is there, the glory of our God, and we worship Him in spirit and in truth. If amusement, if, if the draw to the fancy church is what connects you with God, I caution you, I caution you, you might be breaking the second commandment that you need amusement to help you connect with God who is only to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. The fourth and last that we'll discuss, we could go on forever, is emotion. Emotion is often this, this catch, it's what we, we've got to have in our culture. We, we go to these Christianized movies, Christian, I'll use air quotes, Christian movies, and they pull at our heartstrings, and they have some vague reference to God, they have some vague doctrine, and you come out, and boy, the story's just so moving, and there's some tragedy, and there's resolution, and boy, you just, you walk out moved, and you think, boy, I really met God, and I, I warn you, I caution you. That may not, emotion is not everything. Emotion is not everything. You can watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday and somebody tells some really heart-gripping story and it is not Christian, it is not focused on God in the least. And just because you have approached some sort of cathartic emotion does not mean you have rightly worshipped the one true God. When you depend upon and place all of your weight of, of your encounter with God upon an emotional experience, you may be seeking to worship the true God, but you are using false methods and you are breaking the second commandment. The building, our jobs, our events, our roles in the church, entertainment, amusement, emotion. We could, we'll stop there. We could go on. And we find ourselves crushed. I hope you hear in that, oh, like, like Darren wasn't just trying to point everybody out there. I'm pointing everybody, you know, when you point one finger, you got a few back at yourself. I'm pointing at us. We're tempted, drawn into having these things be the way that we worship God, which makes us condemned sinners. Maybe we should give up on the whole thing. I mean, we've done, we've done two commandments, and we've, we haven't done either one of them yet. We, we have failed at them both. And I hope you land there. I, mean, I honestly do. I hope you hear the first have no other gods and you think, boy, I got more gods than I can count. I got all these idols that are pulling for my attention. And you hear the second commandment, you got, I've got all these wrong ways I've tried to think and worship God. And you find yourself laid low, desperate, crushed. I can't keep this. What now am I going to do? I hope you land there laid out because it's when you're there, you can hear the good news of what Christ has done 
for you. Then the light of the gospel comes in. You can't do it. You have failed. It's too late. You already have failed. But there is one who has done it. There is one who has not failed. There is one who has perfectly fulfilled God's law, Jesus Christ the righteous. Christ came to earth, lived the righteous life we all should have lived. He kept the first commandment. He kept the second commandment. He did it perfectly. He lived the life you and I should have lived, but, he, but, but haven't. Well, what is that? So good for Jesus, right? I mean, okay, he did it, but I didn't. Where does that leave me? I think it's a fair question. Good for Jesus. He lived it. He lived the righteous life, but I haven't. Am I still? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. Glad, Jesus lives a righteous life, and what does he receive for his righteous life? He receives death on a cross. Whose sin does he die for? Whose sin does Jesus suffer for? Not his own. He does not have any. There was no suffering he deserved. What we see on the cross is Jesus bearing the weight of our sin. Yes, the weight of every time you break the second commandment, what we see is Jesus dying for the condemnation that sinners, his children, deserve for breaking this commandment. The wrath and condemnation that we had coming to us is laid, was laid upon Christ. This was so that everyone who now confesses I am a commandment breaker, confesses and repents and trusts Christ, will be forgiven of their sin. Not only that, but when we place our faith in Christ and our sin and wrath is taken away, that righteousness that Christ earned is given to us, imputed to us. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we could become the righteousness of God. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness righteousness of God. The law is an absolute necessity in our understanding of ourselves and who we are in light of a holy and righteous God. But it is not the final word. When we are crushed by the law, when we see ourselves rightly, then the declaration of the gospel means something to us. Are you crushed? Are you crushed? Do you see the futility of your own efforts to live up to God's standard? Do you know yourself to be a condemned sinner if you have to stand before God and reveal your true self? Good, you are. You see yourself rightly. And now hear and believe and rejoice in the good news. Christ came to save sinners. Christ came to save sinners. Look to Him. Look to His righteousness. Believe in His work and His victory over sin and death and trust in His resurrection from the dead. Trust Him and rejoice. Rejoice knowing that no matter what life may throw your way, this is where we ground our joy, church. This is where we ground our joy that no matter what life throws at me, no matter what terrible things come my way, Nothing can take me from the joy that is found in my reconciliation to my God through my Savior, Jesus Christ. If my life is terrible from here on out and I go to an early grave, my joy is not diminished one bit because of what I have in Christ. We come to the communion table knowing that reality. The communion table is not for everyone. The communion table, we practice open communion, so if you're here and you're visiting, you are free to partake of it if you've repented of your sins and are trusting in Christ. But if you do not know yourself as a condemned sinner, 
and do not trust Christ as your Savior, I'd warn you not to partake of the communion table and add to your own judgment. But if you do, if you know yourself to be a sinner, you know yourself to have no hope but Jesus, come, remember, rejoice in a Savior. Live the life you should have lived. Die the death that you deserved so that you could be forgiven of your sin, reconciled to God. As Romans, 1, 8, Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see the gospel. Give us hearts that rejoice. Seeing myself clearly as one laid low. We're only too deep, God, in your Ten Commands, and I can't stand. But I have a Savior. God, give us eyes to see it and hearts that rejoice in it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.